0: Hi there, and thanks for tuning in to listen to a message recorded at Strasburg Community Church. We hope this message by Senior Pastor Steve Yahn draws you into a deeper knowledge and understanding of who Jesus Christ is and that it cultivates a better relationship with Him. Now, let's get on to this week's message.
1: I want to start off introducing you to somebody. His name is John Chow. John Chow is 26 years old. Uh, he's an American. Uh, he was working with All Tribes Missions, and All Tribes Missions had him posted a number of different places. And uh, at one point, he ended up in India. And when he was in India, he heard about this tribe of people called the Sentinelese. And the Sentinelese—they were a remote tribe that are actually part uh, of the—they're uh, on an island that's part of the Andaman and Nicobar Islands in the Bay of Bengal. And they lived on just this tiny island called North Sentinel Island. They are a, uh, uh, an aboriginal tribe and the, the, the nation of India wanted to keep them that way, to protect them from the outside world. So they forbade anyone from going to, um, to North Sentinel Island and talking with the Sentinelese. Now John Chow heard about this And his heart broke for these people. Because to protect their culture, what that meant is that they would have no opportunity to hear the Gospel of Jesus Christ. What hope would they have if the Gospel could not be taken to them? So as he prayed about this, he felt the Lord moving him to say, you're the one, I want you to go there. So in preparation, John uh, took some, uh, uh, some medical training uh, just so he would have something to offer them. He did some linguistic training, how to communicate with somebody you have, you, know, you have no idea how to communicate with them. And then on November 16th of 2018, just a little under two years ago, he hopped on a fishing boat that took him to North Sentinel Island. When it got, they got close, he hopped in a kayak, and he went the rest of the way to the island in a kayak. As he was approaching he had some gifts and he had some cards that were going to help him communicate. But as he got close a group of the, 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 uh, the people from there, the Sentinelese, they came out onto the beach and they were stringing up their bows and uh, uh, John said, you know, forget it. He, he left the gifts there and he turned around and he paddled as quickly as he could back to the fishing boat. When he got to the fishing boat he was just discouraged. Like he knew This is where God's calling me. I've got to get there. So later on that day, he hopped back into his kayak and he went back to the island. This time he made it all the way to the beach and he got out of the kayak. And as he started walking across the beach, more men came out. They had their bows ready this time. And there's a boy who shot an arrow, and the arrow actually came right at him and struck the Bible that John was holding. Well, John dropped it. He went running back to the water. He dove in the water, leaving his kayak behind, and he swam all the way back to the fishing boat. And when he was back there again, just so discouraged, because he knew this is where God was calling him. But he couldn't even begin to communicate with them. Well, a night passed, and the next day, he's praying he just felt, this is what God wants me to do. He knew the dangers. He wrote in his diary that he was scared to death, but whatever happened, he wrote, it was worth it to declare Jesus to these people. He knew the danger, and he actually wrote to his family, please do not be angry at them or at God if I get killed. The fishing boat dropped him off near the beach and he swam onto the beach. This time he, he made it to the, the tree line. The end of the tree line, that was the last anyone ever saw of him. Now, the fishermen, some of them said, We think we may have seen some of the tribesmen dragging his body along the beach, but we don't know for sure. His body's never recovered. And some people may look at John and say, what a fool. He knew what he was getting into. He knew that they were dangerous. Yet he did it anyway. And to what end? never had a chance to even communicate with them. There's others who would say, what a stud. He knew what he was getting into. And he did it anyway. And it wasn't up to him to determine whether there would be success or no success. By him going there, by him following the lead of God and saying yes when God said go, that was success. And who knows how this fits into God's overall plan. But when God said go, He trusted God enough to say yes. That's faith. See, it's faith that allows us to do the things that people say are just nuts. It's faith that allows us to step out into danger or to trust God in the midst of hard times. It's faith that allows us to do works to serve in areas that we don't think we have the capability. It's faith that allows us to say, God, anything you say, anything you ask, I will do. And I will trust you with the results. See, it all comes down to our perspective of life. Why are we here? What are we on this earth for? The It's our perspective, that perspective of life that determines our attitudes, it determines our actions in the good times and in the bad times. When we recognize that we are here for a reason, we are not just here to get from point A to point B, from birth to death with as much accumulation, as much comfort as possible. No, we are here to get from point A to point B, accomplishing as much as we can for the kingdom of God. Because this part here from point A to B, it should not be about us. The reward comes later. The joy and excitement. Well, the joy can come now, but, but, but the, the, the comfort, that comes later. That's the reward. The, the no tears, and no sorrow. That comes later. Right now, point A to point B, we are here for a reason. And that is to serve our God. See, faith allows us to look at this life the way we should. We are here to serve God. Again, Paul, when he wrote the letter to the Thessalonians, he wrote knowing that they were in this difficult faith place. Because remember, they were only a few months old. And he had only had three weeks there, three Sabbaths to come and preach to them and and time in between to deal with some of the, the Gentiles. So it's a young church. And they were under some severe persecution. Remember, Paul was so concerned about this young church that he sent Timothy back up to talk with them while while he went from from Athens over to, to Corinth. And then when Timothy finally brought word back to Corinth that the church was not only doing well, it was thriving. That's why Paul wrote the letter. And what he wrote in that letter was an encouragement to them to say, man, I heard this and we are just praising God. We are praying. We are continually thanking God for you. And he brings up three specific areas that he is thanking God for. I call these three things Paul's great trifecta. There's these three things that we see in a number of places in Paul's writing. And those three things are faith, hope, and love. In 1 Corinthians 13. 13 one of my favorite verses in, in all of Scripture we see, so now, faith, Hope and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. In Colossians, Paul writes, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Even in First Thessalonians, as we keep going through, we get to, uh, to chapter 5, we'll see this trifecta again. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. So we're going to look at those three things today because this is what Paul just thanks God for and commends the Thessalonians for. For their faith, for their love, and for the steadfastness that comes from a hope in Jesus Christ. So if you've got your Bibles, let's turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Last week we got through one verse. This week we're going to double our output. So we're going to look at chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. The 1 Thessalonians about, oh, about, what, three-quarters, two-thirds of the way through the New Testament. Feel free to use your table of contents. Okay, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, starting with verse 2. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. The first thing he talks about are those works of faith. The works of faith... Again, remember their situation. They were being persecuted by the Jewish community and the Gentiles alike. For the Jewish Christians, for them it would have been especially difficult because the Jewish community was a set-apart community anyway. When the, the Jews would leave Judea and they would travel to different areas, they would form their own little enclaves. So they were separate from the culture to begin with. And then when these Jews became Christians, they became separated from the ones who were already separated, so they were totally on their own. They had one another. For the Gentiles, it was also difficult because remember Thessalonica was a a it was one of Caesar's cities. It was an imperial city. There was there was a Caesar worship. There's a lot of idol worship. So to separate away from that, you know, separate away from giving homage to the to the uh, uh, to Caesar, they would have been shunned too. So you have this group of Christians who really only have one another. And they're being persecuted from all sides. So for them to keep moving forward, it's going to take some serious faith. It's going to take them recognizing that God is still in control in the midst of all this. And Paul commends them saying, "Hey, I see your faith and I see the works that are coming from your faith. What's happening as a result of you trusting God. See, faith gives us the conviction to do the things of God no matter the situation. Recognizing who God is, looking in the word to see what He's done in the past, looking at other people around us to see the way that He's, he's uh, built into their lives, looking at how God has blessed us in the past and carried us through, that's what builds our faith, and that's what allows us to keep serving Him when the times get tough for the uh, uh, for the church they're in the midst of this persecution and persecution makes everything harder which isn't always a bad thing because it's in those hard times that faith grows back in the early 80s i spent a year down at biola university in in la and my roommate and i whenever we would need some pocket change we would go to the employment board And look for some just odd job we can do. Remember one time we went there and we saw that uh, uh, somebody was looking for some guys to come and dig uh, uh, sprinkler trenches through that. Wow, how hard can that be? So we showed up there. A couple other guys came along, and uh, when we got there, there there's a landscaper. He said, "Okay, grab shovels. I got in the back of the truck, and here's where I want you to dig." So we start digging, and at first it was pretty fun. Dig, oh after two or three hours our hands were just raw. Our soft little college boy hands you know holding onto those those shovels and scoop after scoop after scoop. And As time went on, the hours went on, it was just misery holding on to that. Now I look over the landscaper, the landscaper knew what he was doing. The landscaper had gloves on, not us. The next day we had to finish the job so we go back And it was terrible. It was so much pain. Now, if we had kept doing it, and the days went on and went into weeks, eventually what would happen? Those blisters would turn into calluses. Exactly. But we didn't stick around long enough. We went through the pain, but we had no gain from it except for a little pocket change that the calluses weren't there. Persecution, the pain and the persecution, as we endure that, that's what builds up our calluses of faith. That's what allows us to keep serving God and to trust Him more and more. So what initially brought pain, what initially brought fear and and trouble, as those calluses build up and we see God working, what once was difficult isn't difficult anymore because we've seen God work and we can trust Him more. Now in America, ministry here is work, but it is gloved work. Ministry here, we've got the protection on. It's not like doing ministry in China. It's not like trying to do ministry in Iran where there's real persecution. We've got gloves on, so it's much harder for us to build up the calluses here. So we have to, we have to build up our faith in other ways. Build our faith by serving how we can, by reading Scripture by trusting God rather than being in the midst, you know, under the fire or in the fire of persecution. But we see that the Thessalonians, Paul affirmed them because their calluses were being built up and they kept serving God. And the more we serve God, the more we see Him work, the stronger we become, the safer we feel in the midst of risk. Faith is like Picture being at a circus and you've got two poles you know, 30 feet up in the air. And between those two poles there's a, a, a little path you know, maybe about two feet wide there. Now if I'm standing up on one pole and I've got to get to the other I've got this little path between me I'm not taking that step. I mean I've got no balance. I would go two steps and I would be on the ground. But how different would it be if we had couple handrails now if there are handrails you're walking across that path it might still be a little bit scary as you look down but you know as long as you're hanging out onto those handrails you know you're not going to go over faith is our handrails as God calls us to do those things that may seem a little bit scary that may seem a little bit dangerous that may make us wonder how is this gonna how am I gonna get from from here to there as long as we're holding on to God and following his lead, we're not going to collapse. We're not going to crash. Mary recognized this. Mary, when the, 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 the uh, um, angel came to her and said, hey, Mary, guess what? You're going to have a baby. And Mary says, uh, I'm not sure how that's going to happen. And the angel says to her, well, here's how it's going to work. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. So she says, okay, I'm, or, uh, the angel says, I'm going to, or God's going to do something in you that's, that's impossible. It just doesn't work. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to cost you. It's going to be a tough path. But, you just got to trust God. And he said, recognize who God is. Remember what you know about God. But, but even if you look at, your, at, your, uh, at, at Elizabeth, you can see that God does the impossible. Because Elizabeth is now pregnant. When she was way past childbearing years. You know who God is. And he wraps up with that statement, nothing will be impossible with God. I think that needs to be the Christian's motto of faith. Nothing will be impossible with God. No matter what God calls us to, if we trust Him, we can say, Yes, Lord, and take a step forward. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that in your life, nothing is impossible? If you trust God. The problem is when God calls us, we are so quick with the yeah buts. When God moves our hearts, we've got excuse after excuse. Reason after reason. And I think that as, as good as we think our reasons are, our excuses are, I think excuses often come from spiritual laziness not inability or doubt. We think we have a good excuse, but so often it just comes to the fact that we just don't want to do it. Look at Moses. I mean, Moses was the the poster boy for this. And when, when Moses comes in front of the burning bush, and God says, Moses, I've got a plan for you. I want you to go down... And talk with Pharaoh, and I want you to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses' response is, wow, great idea, but I'm not the guy. It's one yeah, but after another. His first yeah, but is, is yeah, but, but who am I? I mean, it's been 40 years since I've been down there. Nobody's going to know me anymore. And God's response is, it doesn't matter who you are, does it? It matters who I am. I am the Lord, and I am sending you down. Yeah, yeah, but, but who are you? Well, I'm, they've got all sorts of gods down there, and all their gods have names. If they ask who my God is, all I can say is, He's God. Who do I tell them sent me? And God says, you want a name? I'll give you a name. I am. I am who I am. If they ask who sent you, just tell them, I am sent me. To you. Huh. Well, yeah, yeah, but but what if they don't believe me? What if they get down there and they're like, oh, I don't believe anything you're saying? And, and God says, What's that in your hand? Well, it's just my, my staff. Well, throw it on the ground. Okay. Throws it down. Whoa! The snake starts slithering all around there. And, and then God says, Okay, now pick it up. And Moses is like, uh, you pick it up. I'll pick it up. Reaches down, picks it up, turns back into a staff. I'll show them. I'll show them who I am. Oh, well, yeah, but, but I, I no speak so good no more. I can't really communicate much good. God says, Moses, who made your mouth? I created you. I will put words in your mouth. And finally, the fifth excuse, we get to the the root of the whole thing. Yeah, but can't you just send someone else? Yeah, I just don't want to do it. It doesn't sound fun to me. Excuse after excuse. And we so often are quick for the excuses. So quick for the yeah buts. So often when we say no to God, it's not a matter of ability. It's a matter of will. Or even better yet, a matter of won't. Our faith in God should lead to works. We can do the works of God because we trust in who He is. And then the works of God that we do show that we truly have a faith in Him. See, our works demonstrate our faith. That's the way the two, another way those two are connected. James, in chapter 2.18, says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Oh yeah? Well, show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. So it's tell me you're a Christian all you want. Can you show me that you're a Christian? Can you look back and show the way that you've been serving God? Have you been living out that faith? Or is your faith much more about your mouth than it is your hands and your feet and your heart? What does your Christian walk look like? If someone were to say, are you truly a Christian? Can you show them by your sacrifice, by your service to God, can you show them that yes, this is A genuine faith that I have. So, you've got Paul writing to the Thessalonians and he says, hey Thessalonians, I'm just thanking God. I'm praising Him continually because I've heard about your works of faith. The way you're trusting God under the persecution and doing the things He's called you to do. The second thing he talks about are the labors of love. The labors of love. Again, because the Thessalonians were being persecuted, their connections to one another would have been very strong. They'd likely lost all other relationships, possibly shunned by family, so the church had one another. Because of the persecution, because of that foxhole kind of experience, they had that love. And that love for one another expressed itself in service, in sacrifice, in works, See, love is the strongest of all motivators. The strongest of all motivators. You've seen that, that, that pyramid of needs. That, that number one thing at the top there. Self-preservation. That is not the strongest motivator. The strongest motivator is love. Jesus, in John 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. My sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus was the ultimate in anti-self-preservation. Jesus said, for your sake, so that you can be preserved, I am going to give my life away. Why? Because of His love. God demonstrated His own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You think about it. What would you not do for your family? Parents, what would you not do for your kids? Grandparents, what would you not do for your grandkids? What parent would will not willingly give their life for the life of their child? That's just parenting. That's just love. Love. Love is the ultimate motivator. And that same kind of sacrificial love that motivated Jesus Christ to lay down His life for us, that is the same kind of love that He calls us to have for each other. In John 13, Jesus, they're up in the upper room, Jesus has just gotten through washing the feet of the disciples in order to demonstrate that yes, while He is positionally greater than them, he still, out of love, takes a sacrificial and a humble approach to them. And then he says, You guys do likewise. And then he says, A new command I give you uh, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I mean, look at that and think how is love? a new command. Well, love wasn't the new command. It's the one another part that was the new command. Love one another. See, what he was doing here is giving kind of that tip-off for the coming church. He says, I want you guys, yeah, love everybody else out there, but I really want you to love one another. It's the same thing we're called to do that John talks about in his, uh, in his first epistle. We are called to love one another. He's created a family here. He's united us together. And that love is what should motivate us to sacrifice for each other. But what does this love look like? Well, love is hard work. That's why he uses that word Labor. Labor, that word comes from a, a, a root word that means to, uh, to hammer a nail or to chop down a tree. It has that implication of manual labor, of, of hard work. And you think loving one another in a church, sometimes it can be hard work. There's people in the church that are really easy to love. Sometimes there's people that we just have you know, that personality thing that they're a little bit harder to love. But there's no caveat in what Jesus said. Jesus doesn't say, a new command I give to you. Love one another, unless they are just so obnoxious. They're always doing these mean things. They're always saying stuff about me. So, yeah. You know, love one another, period. And sometimes that love is hard work. It's hard work in our attitude, or it's just hard work in the work that we do. We toil, we struggle. As we serve one another, Paul uses the same word in the next chapter of Thessalonians when he says, surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship, that word toil, is the exact same word that is translated labor in chapter 1. You, you recognize or you remember our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the Gospel of God to you. My question is, are you working hard? Are you working hard out of love for God or out, and out of love for one another? Every one of us is called to continue serving from point A, birth to point B, death. And sometimes as time goes on, we've got to modify the way we serve. But we all are still called to serve, whether it's Praying for one another. Whether it's uh, uh, just sending notes, cards to people. What a ministry that is. Oh, there's times that I've gone out to the mail, especially if it's been a hard week and I open it up and, and someone's actually taken time to handwrite a card. And you read that and it's like, oh man, that's just that's so encouraging. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a bit of a pain. You've got you to gotta fill out the card. You've got to put the stamp on it. You've got to put it in the mailbox. But again, are you still working, serving, laboring out of love for God and for others. What keeps us going? In the midst of the hard times, in the midst of the struggle, well, it's the hope of Jesus Christ. That's the last one we come to. The steadfastness of hope. We're going to deal with the word steadfast in just a minute. But again, when we talk about hope, Who was our hope in? Right there. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. Without Jesus, what hope do we have? There is no hope without Jesus Christ. They're just getting by day to day to day. But with Jesus, we've got hope for today, and we've got hope for the future, and for hope after this life. We've got that promise of an eternity with Him. Again, there's hope in Jesus Christ that He is with us each day and through the Holy Spirit in us. He is leading us. He is guiding us. He is protecting us. He is illuminating Scripture to us. He is speaking to us. So He's with us today. But again, there's that hope that there is a future for us. We'll get to that later when we get to chapter 4. In chapter 4, we see the hope of Jesus' return When the dead will rise, and and then we who are still alive will be caught up with him. And what does he say after that? In 1 Thessalonians 4, 18, after he talks about that, he says, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. See, it's our hope that encourages us. In those hard times, we think about what Jesus has done for us, who he is. And that encourages us. It lifts us up again. And that's what leads to steadfastness. Hope leads to encouragement, leads to steadfastness. Again, in chapter 5, which we'll get to in a little while, uh, uh, Paul talks about the hope of us not suffering in the day of the Lord, the coming wrath of the day of the Lord. He says, you were not appointed to wrath. And then he finishes that section by saying, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. So he says, be encouraged. Jesus is working with you today. Jesus will, will return to take us to be with him. Jesus will save you from the coming wrath. When this life is over, there's an eternity with God. Encourage one another. And it's that encouragement again that makes us steadfast. That word steadfast, it's a great word. The, uh, the noun uh, the word that's used there is, is hupomone. And the verb form of that is uh, hupomeno. It's another one of those prepositional compounds that I'm always talking about that I love so much. The first part, hoopo or hypo, means under. Like a hypodermic needle. Meno means to remain. So steadfastness is to remain under. To remain under the persecution. To remain under the pain to endure through that time. To persevere. And we can persevere. Why? Because of the hope that we have. That God is there. Jesus is with us. And Jesus has a plan. So I believe that uh, we can endure anything. We can endure anything if we know that first, it will not last forever, second, that we are doing something worthwhile, and third, that there will be a reward at the end. We can persevere under any trial. We can remain steadfast if we know it won't last forever, we're doing something worthwhile, and there's a reward at the end. In one of my... uh, one of my fun insomnia nights a little while back. I was flipping through the channels, and I came across this TV game show, which is one of the most ridiculous, awesome things I've ever seen in my life. It's called Hot Ones, the Game Show. And in Hot Ones, the Game Show, you've got these two teams of two. You've seen it. It's in, okay, yeah. You've got these two teams of two, and they enter into the Pepperdome. Dome. And in the Pepperdome, each team is given giving, giving these hot wings. And not just like the kind of you know, spicy hot wings or, ooh, that's a little bit hot, hot. I mean, these are like miserably hot, hot wings. And they each have to eat a wing for each round, and then they're asked questions. So while their mouth is burning and their eyes are watering and their brains are fried from eating these wings, they have to try to answer these questions. It goes through three rounds. Whoever gets the most points goes on to the bonus round known as the Ring of Fire. And in the Ring of Fire, the Ring of Fire, they're each given, each contestant is given this little shot glass of hot sauce. And the hot sauce in there is rated at 2 million Scoville units. Now, Scoville units is what what they use to to rate the spiciness of peppers, like a jalapeno at somewhere between 2,500 and 5,000. Scoville units. A habanero is up around 350,000 Scoville units. The ghost pepper, if you've heard of that thing, the ghost pepper is at 1 million Scoville units. They have to drink this little shot glass full of sauce that's rated at 2 million Scoville units. I don't know how they survive, but they drink that thing and then they have to answer five questions while their brain is just frying. If they answer the questions, then they get $25,000 but more importantly they get those two ice-cold milkshakes because those ice-cold milkshakes when they drink that that counteracts all that burning in their mouth so yeah the 25,000 is nice but they really want the milkshakes I look at this stupid thing and I think yeah I'd do that I'd do that because first of all it's only for a time It's a 30 minute show. I can endure anything for 30 minutes. Second of all, I'm doing it for a worthwhile cause. $25,000, nothing to sneeze at. And finally, I know that there's a reward at the end. That ice cold milkshake. We can endure anything. If we know it's for a time, we know we're doing something worthwhile and there's a reward at the end. In this life, we know that we have a time limit. There's a time limit. First of all, any persecution, anything we're going through, this whole pandemic thing, it's got a time limit. It will eventually pass. Now between now and then, who knows? We may pass. Because we have a time limit on ourselves too. But eventually, whatever we're enduring, whatever we're suffering through, will end. There is a time limit. So we need to make sure that, number two, we are doing something worthwhile. What are you doing with your time from point A to point B? From birth to the time you say goodbye to this world. Are you spending it in the things of God? Doing the works of faith? Doing the labors of love for one another? So we know at the end of all this, At the end of all this, when this life is over, number three, there is an incredible reward at the end. Where we will spend an eternity with our God. We are here for a reason. And it's not just to be comfortable. It's not just to mark the days until our time ends here. It's to be about the Lord's work. And we know anything He calls us to do, even if we feel inadequate, He will give us the strength to do it. Even if it seems ridiculous, like landing a kayak on an island of people who just want to kill you. You follow the Lord's lead, and you know that He will carry you through. And we know that John Chow is with God. And on that day, November seventeenth, two 2018, he saw his Lord face to face and he heard that well done good and faithful servant because he followed God's lead. Lord, let us be about Your business. Every day, let us make these days count. These days are so short in relation to our eternity. We're just here a blip of time. Let's not, let us not get caught up in what the world says is important. Let us not get caught up in the excuses. But Lord, when you ask, let us say yes. Yes, Lord. No yes, but. But yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. We ask that you show yourself to us as we trust you, as we step forward. Use us as a church, use us as an individual to carry out your will. We pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus, who has created that perfect plan, who has given us our hope,
0: Thanks again for listening. We hope you enjoyed the message. You'll find more messages online by clicking the sermons link at strasburgcommunitychurch.com. You can also take this and other messages with you on the go by downloading our mobile app available at both Apple and Android app stores by simply searching for Strasburg Community Church. Also, don't forget to like us on Facebook. If you live nearby or are ever in the area, we'd love to have you stop by and visit us sometime on a Sunday morning. Services happen every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m., and we're located at 56155 Sunset Avenue in Strasburg, Colorado. Once again, thanks for listening. Be blessed and have a great day.